Welcome to Conversations in Equine Science. My name is Kate Acton and I'm joined by Nancy McLean. And this is the podcast where we take equine research and try and make it accessible to horse owners and enthusiasts alike. Remember that with each topic we discuss, it's important to get professional advice before implementing any of the strategies. This week, Nancy and I are looking at an article that was written by Anna Joyce of RTE. So RTE is the national broadcaster for Ireland, and it stands for Radio Telefiche Erin. And this is a brilliant look into racehorses with the title, Can You Engineer the Perfect Racehorse? So racing industry is big all over the world, but it's very important in Ireland. Um, And Ireland is known for having produced some really great champions over the years. The racing industry in Ireland, just to give you a kind of comparison, so the horse racing industry contributes about almost 2 billion a year to the economy in Ireland. And comparing that with the States, the race industry in the States is about 39 billion, which is substantially more because it's a bigger country. But the United States is 140 times bigger than Ireland. So I think Ireland is still doing quite well to be pulling in 2 billion a year for the economy in racing alone. So it is really important and exports are huge. So the I think it's a 2018 figure actually that Irish foals exported at around 263 million in that year alone. So we have a lot of people come from other countries to look at the stock and to try and essentially end up with what will be a winning bloodline. And this article spoke to several um researchers and people that were experts in this area to try and determine how do we actually come up with the perfect racehorse and can we figure this out before birth it was really interesting because there's one professor and nancy and i were reminiscing about this before we started because we actually read this paper during our masters and it's all just come back to us now (laughs) But there's Professor Emmeline Hill, and she's a lecturer in equine science at UCD. And she wrote a paper and essentially discovered a speed gene in horses. So we are able to look at their genes and their DNA and determine whether they're suitable for specific types of races, which was groundbreaking, really, because before that, um, we really went on how the horse performed and the visual data we could quantify. Not to say that's wrong either, because Nancy, you'll have had years and years of experience of watching horses at the starting gates. That must give you so much information. It does. um, You learn about their mental state. And of course, you're referencing everything you observe with a pedigree that's you've usually poured over before you start their training and then you observe um, their workouts, how they perform, their turn of foot, their confirmation, how they're uh, put together. And you kind of assess that 
and get an idea for their distance and their speed ability um, before you even race them. So it, it, you know, it's kind of an art form as well as a scientific um, endeavor. Definitely, because I think there are so many elements that come into play. They found there were three um, possible genetic types for the speed genes. We've got CC, CT, and TT. And these are combinations of the DNA, and they're inherited from the parents. And they discovered that horses that have the CC combination are most suited to sprint racing. Horses with the CT excel in middle distance races, and horses with TT combinations are best for longer distance racing, which requires stamina. But you can have the most perfect racehorse, and I still think in the wrong environment, certainly in the wrong hands, they're still not going to excel to their true potential. Yeah, and so this is so cool because uh, maybe in the future when we have that horse genome, on an individual basis available to us, we will be able, able to see what this horse has the propensity for, what distance um, as a speed horse or maybe more as an endurance horse. And uh, you could look at that and then train accordingly, but you would still have to take into consideration the um, psychology of that horse as well as its past environment and the current environment, because remember the episodes we've done on weaning and how that can determine um, the future for that horse as far as stereotypical behaviors mm -hmm. or not having them. Um, there's a lot of stress that can occur during the early years. And this article even talks about in, you know, before they're born, the last three months, they take their largest growth spurt, but that growth spurt is dependent upon the length of light occurring during the day. So um, remember in Edinburgh, they talked about that, um, the light in the pituitary gland and that whole network of um you know, light in the way it dictates. And so much of us use artificial light for breeding season. But if you don't continue that throughout the pregnancy and you're trying to produce a foal prior to that long length of days, you take away that artificial light and you might not get that growth. And then your pregnancy is going to be extended. I find that so fascinating because we do obviously, and it, this always blew my mind because when I was a kid, I remember having this argument, well, not argument, but discussion with someone <laughs> who was saying foals have to be born as close to January as possible. And being a kid, I was like, well, why? And they said, so when they're a yearling at the yearling sales, they'll be at whatever size, you know, they, they were basically saying that if they're not born close to January, they'll always be behind mm -hmm. for their year group. And I said, but only until they're fully grown. And then they were kind of like, well, yeah, that's true. And the January thing just used to really confuse me because I mean, that's something that we could really change and work towards changing. We're having to inject our mares 
with hormones to try and bring them on early. We are using um, daylight. So increasing their daylight can be done by placing these um, halters on their head and it shines a light in their eye. It's not aversive by any means. The horses take to the halters quite well and it's not damaging to their eye when we shine the light. But we slowly increase the daylight to get them to come into heat so we're able to cover them. But I I completely kind of missed that part in the whole process. And I think a lot of people will have is that you need the daylight to continue. So once we get them in full, I think it's like, oh, well, that's it. Okay, they're done. Like now we just wait for the full. But in the last three months, we need that stronger daylight for the full to finish growing. And the fact that the biggest growth spurt a horse will ever have is those last three months in the womb. That I just found that so interesting. That is the quickest, largest growth spurt they'll have in their lifetime. And they come out at like 40 kilos and can grow to like, what, 550. And it's it's just fascinating that such a large animal at the end of it all will do the most before it's even born. And we're not manipulating that, which we really should be in line with manipulating the breeding season. Yeah, that was, I just thought that was so cool. I think that's part where science could help out in that regard. But I had not ever read that before, that the light should continue throughout the pregnancy, especially at the end, because I know a lot of breeding facilities that, like you said, once they're in full, that light is removed. But, you know, that makes a difference. And then the speed gene... Um, that's that myostatin gene. And the fact that that makes a difference, um, you know, I mean, it's just incredible all the science we have available to us, yet it still takes a little bit of art farm to be able to develop a champion. What I thought was really neat about this article is that um, they have the podcast of Tiger Roll along with this. And so you're able to listen. It's free, um, multiple episodes of it. And it's about the life of the horse that won the Grand National two times in a row. And uh, it's really a good listen for, I would, I'll put a link on our homepage because if you're a horse enthusiast, you're really going to love it about the County Tipperary, the breeder and Kate tell me if I'm saying it wrong but I'm just in love with this podcast no Tipperary's correct um yeah so Tipperary's a county um middle south I'd say in Ireland so it's I mean Ireland's a pretty small country but Tipperary doesn't reach the coastline at the very bottom um I suppose Maybe people would be familiar potentially with Limerick. A lot of people know about Dublin. I'm biased and think most people know about Galway because I'm from there. But um, Tipperary is beautiful, beautiful part of the country. I did, um, when I was a veterinary nurse, I did my large animal equine nursing training. We got sent to an agricultural college in Tipperary to do our skills. And it was just absolutely brilliant so if you are visiting Ireland and you love horses Tipperary great place to go Kildare is just outside Dublin 
and Kildare is brilliant as well. They've got the national stud there. And you can see some of the retired stallions from racing and they've got um, like a museum and kind of a history aspect to it too. Well, I thought it was so interesting with this speed gene in that um, Professor Hill, which is from um, your college, which is University College Dublin, where Kate's a lecturer, and she took 85 thoroughbreds selected from a group of 102. And one of the criteria was that all these young thoroughbreds had to have had at least two work days. Now a work day would be um, mimicking a race day. So going at a sprint or a fast speed for 800 to 1000 meters. Now they picked 55 two year olds and 33 year olds. They um, had a handheld GPS uh, for each rider, and so they could track distance and speed, and then they took blood samples as well. So they actually found that myostatin gene, and according to their workouts, they were able to correlate it with either the sprinter or that CC um, match up on that DNA base pair, and then uh, the CT or the TT. And what happened, if you listen to the Tiger Roll broadcast, the breeder opted to take his mother and interject a little speed into the pedigree. And so I won't tell you the rest because I don't want to spoil it for anyone, but phenomenal. And it goes right along with this study that was done in 2012 about the speed gene. And um, we know that horses have different muscle fibers and you've got your slow twitch in your route horses or your horses that like to go a distance. And then you've got your fast twitch muscles that are the majority for your sprint. Now horses have both types. It's just the ratio of each type that kind of matters. And that's what that myostatin gene is kind of uh, dictating. It's a polymorphic gene. So it uh, has the ability to go either way, uh, trait wise. So your training would still make a little bit of a difference. And it's kind of cool that we have all the science yet good training is a must as well if you want to produce equine excellence in whatever sport. Definitely. They said that genetics contributes to somewhere between 30 to 50 percent of the horse's performance on track, but the rest definitely comes down to management and training environment too. And there was a professor, um, Peter Clegg. This, this article actually on RTE brings together some brilliant minds in this area from lots of different universities. So Professor Peter Clegg is from the University of Liverpool and he is an expert in equine orthopedics. And he said that another really important factor is to do with confirmation of their limbs, because you can have the most amazing athlete, but if their limbs won't last, then they get reoccurring injuries and they're never going to be a great racehorse if that happens. Um, there was another professor. Um, let me see, where did I find that? Um, that was talking about the jockeys. Do you remember this bit, Nancy? It was such a great point. Um, 
Oh, Ashley Ease, I think, a lecturer in international equine industry at the Royal Agricultural University, said that what is a racehorse without a rider? And if you look at racing post-race records, you can see which jockey was riding the horse. Sometimes you can see a horse which may have perhaps apparently underperformed with a certain jockey. And when the jockey changes, they then perform better. And that this could be coincidental, but, and it's not to say that one jockey is bad and the other is good, like quite the contrary. It's that sometimes horses just don't click with certain people. And we've come across that in so many of the papers we've covered, that horse-human bond and the signals they pick up and, you know, even picking up like signals from our sweat but as we approach them. They're so clever and intuitive. And you have to get that match right as well. Yeah. One of my fillies and, and one of my geldings, um, only one, uh, you know, they would only win a race, I should say, with a certain jockey on them. And I don't think it was a coincidence that the jockey took an interest in them as well. So I had one, um, the jockey broke his ankle in a starting gate incident, so I couldn't use him. And we went three races with placing second. And the minute that jockey came back and started riding again, we won. So, you know, all of my win pictures, a lot of them, it's the same jockey. And I noticed you kind of as a trainer, you want to watch that bond and watch how that horse interacts with that jockey. And if you see any discrepancy or any, um, I call it cognitive dissonance, where they're not really gelling, I go to another rider. And sometimes it's not the best rider at the track. You want to pick the rider that's going to want the best for your horse and, and pick them to ride. So that's true. And then another interesting fact is we always talk about trickle feeding horses is um, the, you know, feeding regimen. If you can feed a racehorse the way it was designed to eat, and um, this is with the tiger roll, the breeder instinctively taught him to eat small amounts frequently um, they're healthier. They don't get the gastrointestinal, the ulcers, the distress, and the, um, I think they call it EGUS, E-G-U-S. And um, I think that's an important component too, is how you feed the horses. A lot of trainers feed more than just twice a day because they've realized they can't be giving them these huge amounts just twice a day. And Dr. Andrew Hemmings said that in this paper to feed as much forage as you possibly can. Yes. Because even with horses that, um, yeah, get those ulcers from stress induced, this yes. will reduce the occurrence of that too. And, you know, how many racehorses end up out of races due to stress induced injuries? Yeah, and they just can't perform at their best. And, you know, if they have, ulcers they're not absorbing their food content and we talked about probiotics their microbial populations will be off so there's it's a whole package i just love it because each horse is so different you got to try and figure them out 
And, um, you know, it, it, I like saying a lot, it's just science and art together and it's mm-hmm. good horsemanship. Don't you think Kate? Definitely. Cause yeah. experience, it just plays such a big role in this. But I think too, Nancy, when you were talking about that jockey, you had mm-hmm. there like in races where a horse is pushing itself to such an extent, there has to be trust with the rider on its back. And I think we've kind of touched on this before when we talked about the Olympic and pentathlon and how they just jump on any horse. And you just can't. I think in these, these are high stakes situations, not just the money involved and the pressure from that aspect, but it can be really dangerous. Hunt races can be really dangerous where the horses are having to run flat as fast as they can. Then they need to pick themselves up to clear a jump. We can see a lot of injuries occur there. And if there's no bond or trust built up between that jockey and the horse, then you're asking for accidents. Yeah. Yeah. And you want, you know, you try to make everything be as peaceful and a rhythm to it, especially when it comes to thoroughbreds, because they don't like distractions. They don't like loudness. They they want to be asked to do something and they'll respond in a heartbeat. But you can't go in there like a bat out of hell and expect them to listen to you. So um, I always try to pick the jockeys that have soft hands and have good basic horsemanship skills and uh, just, you know, blend well with the horse and uh, you can see it it's uh, like um, that podcast we did where the handlers had a rapport with the horse and that was actually behavior that could be observed as a trainer or an owner you can observe that as well I love the last sentence that they have on this article it's so well written But it says, throughout these conversations, a common thread emerges. Genetics, environment, and equine psychology all play a role in the quest for excellence. But it's called gambling for a reason. As Professor Clegg astutely notes, if it was easy, it wouldn't be a very interesting sport. That is so true. (laughs) So true. But I wanted to mention briefly, that's about all I had on this. But the Professor Hill's paper is called uh, MSTN Genotype Association with Speed Indices in Thoroughbred Racehorses. And that was by Hill et al. 2012. I am going to put a link to this paper because it's so interesting that Horse Genome Project started in 2006. And I think the full map was revealed in 2009. I might be wrong on that, but I think that rings a bell with me. And that was one of the first total mappings of the horse that they did. And if you get a chance, Google that and read about it because the Human Genome Project was fascinating. And the Horse Genome Project, they had a huge amount, like 2.7 billion DNA base pairs. And those base pairs is that um, cytosine, thymine, 
uh, adenine and guanine. And so they did 2.7 billion. So it's incredible. And it was interesting that the horse DNA is larger than the dog, but not as large as the human, um, the genome mapping. So I, it's just an interesting topic to have a quick look at. And it's really admirable how they were able to map the human, and then the horse was soon to follow. So now they have a, a lot of different species, you know, mapped and all that. So, and on the topic of racehorses, just to note, the 2022 Grand National is taking place very soon. So it's the 9th of April that begins. Um, and it should be an interesting watch for those of you that have a fascination with horse racing or a love for it. Um, and I just want to say thank you to those of you that since last week have taken the survey. Um, we really appreciate it. And if you haven't taken our survey yet, please do pop onto our social media um, or it's on the homepage as well. You'll find the link to it. And it just takes a couple of minutes to fill out. And Nancy and I would really appreciate it because it will go towards our research. Yeah, sounds great. And don't forget, guys, uh, listen to the podcast about Tiger Roll. I don't always mention other competitive podcasts with us, but <laughs> RTE puts out a great product, and I'm just thoroughly enjoying the um, autobiography of Tiger Roll. So. And it's free to listen to in any country, because I know... Sometimes um, local broadcasts, you need to be in the country of the broadcast subscriber, I guess. But you can listen to this anywhere. So definitely give that a go. Okay. Well, thanks, Kate, for recommending this and filling us in a little bit about the Irish thoroughbred market. Because, you know, a lot of our great racehorses had their foundation sire was from Ireland. So uh, uh, one of my favorites is Galileo and his father was Sadler's Wells. And all of those have an Irish connection. It's definitely um I think a subject of pride or an area of pride in the country because there's a big love for horses in Ireland. And yeah, I think it's, um, it's quite cool for a small country that we're managing to do pretty well with our thoroughbred industry. Absolutely. I'm looking forward maybe to doing some more podcasts on the Irish thoroughbred uh, market in their breeding because it's very interesting. Well, thanks so much, Nancy. And if anyone has any questions or wants to leave us a voice note, you can do that through the homepage. And otherwise, we'll talk to you all next week. Okay, thanks so much. Take care.